Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right, yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Everybody, welcome to Saturday Morning Serial. I'm Grim Shea. Joining me, as always, is Marky. Say hey, Marky. Hey, hey. I am so glad to hear you say that again. Say what again? That whole thing, the whole the thing you say when we start the show. You like it. You it's like been it, a long you? time. It feels Get your engine running, forever don't you? Yeah. since I've heard you say I, that. I, it, it does kind of feel like we've kept the old Saturday Morning Serial... Uh, uh, Ghostbusters van in the garage <laughs> for too so. long. <laughs> yeah, and it's time we pulled it out. Oh. Did, did a little Saturday morning serialing. A, a little serialing. I'm going to tell you a little story about yeah, a little guy. Gonna... I know. You know. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, we're back after a little hiatus after uh, oh. Comic Con because, of course, it does take a toll on oh. the soul. Comic Con is rough. My liver is still barely in my body. I know it wanted to leap out of my lungs. I know. I can see it for your T-shirt still. It's been a while. Comic-Con takes a lot of drinking, takes a lot of tolerance, takes a lot of endurance. That's an amazing. But we made it again. What a great Comic-Con. Uh, and we're not talking about that today. Yeah, we're, nope. we're not even going to. No, I'm no, done talking about no, it. No, we're going to. We'll but we are going to talk about movies because <laughs> guess what? I just realized this the other day. I And I think I'm, I, I'm willing to bring it up here because I think it's a big Remember. deal. Remember. Walking in the same 2015, we've been covering movies, we've been talking about all the blockbusters, and I totally forgot that 30 years ago this summer was 1985, (laughs) and the 1985 Uh summer movies, which a lot of people, I don't know why it doesn't get more coverage, but... Well, 1984 gets all the press. There was Terminator, there was Gremlins, uh, Indiana Jones... Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, right. I mean, 84 has been known as the year of the 80s. Oh, that sounds so cute, but wrong. No (laughs) way that's the year of the 80s. Well, what could possibly be 1984? All right, right. let me tell you, because I actually remember living through this year Mm -hmm. and going to the movies. We Mm -hmm. got to go like once a week as a kid, and we had to choose each time what movie we're going to see let me just rattle off some of our repeat viewings back to the future boom i've seen that movie at least 30 times that was 1985 goonies oh, at least i i may have that seen was that was 1985 one. i may have seen that one 50 times mm-hmm. yeah i'm not kidding mm-hmm. i might what about that. cocoon maybe once or twice but you still probably yeah, saw it. But I've seen it for sure. They they do the thing with the skin and the, the little spirits. There's, yeah. yeah, I remember that movie. It was Ron Howard magic. His first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
What? What? I mean, 1985. I just skimmed like the first three or four. All right. I actually there. just popped it into the computer machine and the Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. <laughs> 1985. Uh, European Vacation, which we used to steal HBO. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned that. We'll get back to it. European Vacation. But what else Her came moment. out in '85? Uh, uh, oh, Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, the, no, the weakest of it. them all, but still awesome. They that was 1985. Rock. Oh my God, you're gonna Hail Rider with Clint Eastwood. I know was as well as Rambo. Rambo, First Blood Part Two. Exactly, yeah. Rambo One, First Blood Part Two. Exactly. Those Which was been. predicted to blow everything else out of the water, and it barely registered. Well, it, we we all saw it, but we don't remember it's eighty five because every because it gets just bombarded. Else is in there. Rocky four was Rocky in nineteen eighty five. You, I remember Rocky the trailer. Four. That the two with the gloves, porcelain yeah. gloves, smashing into each other. Yes, <laughs> Rocky four. Rocky I four. will break you. I, I, that's, uh, Saint Elmo's fire. Saint Elmo's fire. Um, uh, uh, weird science. Weird science. In fact, the whole trio. I think real genius. Weird science and uh, my science project. I think all came out wow. like in the same few weeks. A lot there. of science in '84. It was well, I think '85. Sorry, it was it was because 1984. I think was uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, this is so good. a lot of studios immediately uh, cashed in on that, put out nerd comedies. But they were good looking nerds. But yeah, they had yeah. Val Kilmer. Yeah, Val Kilmer was <laughs> a nerd. Yeah, and right. Et cetera, <laughs> to be yeah. Now he's just the weird, more accessible but... nerds. Uh, Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, and Teen Wolf came out within right. a Same. matter of a month or two of each other. How on and top of the world was Michael J. Fox? Michael J. Fox, I think there's probably a record about this, but I do happen to remember, and you can look this up because I'm not going to, but Michael J. Fox is the only or the first star to have bumped himself off of the number one movie slot. <laughs> Like, wow. Back to the Future was still number really? one. Teen Wolf came out, and that became number one. I never would have even thought about that scenario until you just brought it up. But, wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. That was the same summer. 1985 was glorious. I, I'm just going down the list, by the way. Right, I throw think, a few more wait, well, you know so what? people understand. Let's just go from the top, and let's see how many of these we've seen. Just really quick. All right. All right. I'll, and I'll then, vote yay. You vote yay. Okay, all we, right. we, Breakfast Club? Yay. yay. Goonies? Yay. yay. Back to the Future, yay. yay. European Vacation, yay. yay. Legend, yay. yay. Mad Max Thund- Thunderdome, yay. yay. Rocky Four, yay. yay. St. Animal's Fire, yay. yay. Weird Science, yay. Teen Wolf, yay. yay. Commando, yay. yay. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, yay. Pale Rider, Big Adventure. Pale Rider, Pale Rider, God. yay. What a year. No. Yay and yay. Let's keep doing this until we run out of yays. Yeah. Okay, all right. Oscar winner out of Africa, Yay. Most of. Yay. <laughs> Mask. Yay. yay. Brazil. Yay. yay. Clue. Yay. Clue. Witness. Yay. yay. The Color Purple. Yay. yay. Oh, my God. What? This is number 20. We're going we're gonna to stop talking after this. Okay. But just lay it on me. That What is the big, giant mushroom cloud, then? What? What is it? What am I missing? Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead. Yay. Yay. Oh, my God. That movie. 1985, my friend. <laughs> it has been 30 years. If you feel old, congratulations. That's the 20th on We're the list. We're old together. And I've seen everyone multiple times. Maybe not the color purple because you can only handle that once. Out of Africa, okay, once. 
But those were Oscar-nominated films. Yeah, those you know, were the ones you were Those were heavy to... movies. Um, but we've seen them. But anyway, these were these were the Marvel movies of the 80s, right? These were the cultural driving... But every single one of them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm not going to justify this list by doing another list of, say, 1988, where we only remember right maybe <laughs> seven or eight of the titles yeah. compared to... Let's just I, stop right where we are, 1985. I think we could actually when still go, by the way. The, uh, all right, I'm going to give you five more. People at home, are you willing to put up with How about five this? more? Let's just go again until maybe we both don't see something. Uh, if, we get to, if we get to 30, we'll No, stop. at this point, if one of us hasn't seen it, we well, stop. Well, I, come on, I think so. it's going to stop on the next one, Return to Oz. I have oh, not seen I it. I loved it. Yeah, I, I love that one. I haven't seen it. Uh, I want to mention that was one of the ones that I saw. It was the dark Disney take, which I guess did flop. But it's the it's the better Wizard of Oz. It can't be better than it was. It was the dark Tin Man and, and evil. Stuff. They had ugly puppets, and they had the monkeys were e- ugly. Dark, but it was like a whole movie made on oh, the monkey wow. theme. I never saw really that good. one. So number twenty one, I haven't seen. But a view to a kill. Yay. Oh yeah, the old Silverado. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street two. Oh, well, yay, yay. Cocoon, yay. one of your favorites. Yeah. Red I Sonia, it. sure. Yeah. Rambo, yay. Real Genius, yay. Number twenty nine is a movie called Ran. I think Wait. we just hit our. I think we just hit it. We just hit our limit. Ran. Ran. Wait a minute, Patrick Dempsey. Not even close. Okay, never yeah. mind then. It looks like a Japanese movie. Oh, but. Okay. Uh, Since we, let's find. Let me just. Let me stop on number thirty. Okay. The Last Dragon. Bruce Leroy, <laughs> the Shogun of Harlem. <laughs> I've seen that movie so many times. That, okay. Good. Oh my God! This is amazing. I don't. Uh, Spies like us is number thirty-three. Um, Spies like us. Oh no, no, we're not that talking about that. Eighty-five. We stopped at. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, now I'm really intrigued. Give me a couple more. Uh, Police Academy Two was number Police thirty-five. Two. Fletch was number thirty-seven. Fletch, Fletch was thirty-seven. That is ridiculous. Oh, Enemy Mine, a sci-fi masterpiece. That, yep. That Still. was number forty-three. After Hours, a Scorsese movie. I really didn't like. So fuck that one. I um, didn't mind it, but yeah, it's not. Uh, I, I think. And let's just end it with a memorable movie, maybe not a good one. Desperately seeking Susan, which was also ah, in 1985. Yes. So let's just. All right. So, I mean, I think, and you guys, you guys heard our raw reaction to this. I pumped in. I I Google searched, you know, 1985 movies. I went to the IMDb, and this is according to their. I don't know if it's their popularity or whatever, or their. I think it might be their average score. Um, might just be what they put out. And 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 well, I noticed like by 7. the time 9. we were done there, it's not. Uh, these weren't just the summer releases, but it is safe to say a good portion of them did come out around summer because that's when he put out a lot of movies. But regardless, that was one hell of a year. Thirty years ago today, amazing. It was not all sequels and remakes. I, I'm curious. Not today on this show. But I'm curious if there's ever another year where the top ten films we have seen every one of them. You know, according this is uh, the the list that I'm reading from is the IMDb most popular feature films released in 1985. Yeah. So according to that scale, 
which we had not seen until I pulled it up just moments ago. According to that scale, you and I have seen the top 10 films. Actually, I could could take it. No, top 20. It was the top 20 films. And most of those films we have seen not just twice, but multiple in the 20s, in the 30s. I, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, a I might have seen A number of those times. films I returned late to stores that predated Blockbuster Yeah, at exorbitant late fees yep. and felt okay with it. Watching them over and over and over those again. Were, and even when you – you would have to do that. And um, I – we used to uh, – We're talking VCRs, by right. the way, for the younger crowd. I, I used to, we used to borrow my, my aunt's VCR. And we would mate it on top of our VCR, Ooh, and we would hook up that one early, to huh? the other. And then my dad would give us, let's say, you know, our allowance between me and my brother Gil was maybe ten bucks or whatever. Mm. Um, and so we would take that and we would go to the Walgreens or whatever, and we would buy one VHS tape, <laughs> the Maxwell. Yeah, the Maxwell, the thirty, sixty, one twenty. And we would put it on the fastest speed. Yep. And you could record three movies. LP. LP and or LLP or SLP, and it was always that like it, it was always that little tiny switch. You would have to like stick your fingernail in it and just click yeah. it down or click it. You know, it was like the three little yeah, steps. the little toothpick switch. Yeah, the little uh, toothpick switch, mm-hmm. and then we would switch it all the way down, and then so we would record three. We would take, we would go rent, mm-hmm. and we would plop it into the bottom one, and we would turn it on, and it would pop up on the on the TV, and kind of look around because of the warning, you know, (laughs) the FBI warning would come up and you'd make sure they weren't there. Are they here right now? And then we would go ahead and we would record (laughs) the three movies on to our VHS. Yep. At at a reduced quality, by the way, if anyone out there is recreating the VCR experience, but, but you also mentioned earlier, not to put you on blast, but you also stole HBO. So if you just didn't want to bother renting them, you could wait and watch it off HBO. Till the next summer. Oh. Plug in HBO into one VCR. Plug one VCR into the other. Plug the second VCR into the TV so you can monitor what you were doing. <laughs> That's a lot. I remember having to do that. <laughs> but that was another way that where... So by 1987, but, 1988... Every house you went to had a whole shelf of wired. VHS yep. tapes with hand-labeled... Yep. With the uh, little sticker, three yeah. movies yep. on yep. each tape, uh-huh. and they of course were in terrible quality because they've been watched more than five times, uh-huh. and they were recorded on SLP yep. instead of SP, which meant um, extra long play. It was ELP, ELP, yeah. extra long play. Yeah. I think SLP for super long play, only because it was easier to make an S than an E. On some I don't of the, know. I, I remember that some VCRs it would be ELP, some uh, SLP. There wasn't even an industry industry standard on for how bad <laughs> those recordings were. But that was. But yeah, kinda, we used to do that. You know, it's funny you mention that because that's like the original. That's the origins of piracy in a community sense. Well, but but because no well, one ever I don't recorded even think that that was. It. I don't think that that was. I don't think that was the origin. I think that that's what. That's what we did to continue being entertained by the things that we loved, right? Yeah. Like um, when it came to TV, even like before we every house had a VCR. You got everybody takes for granted that there's recording devices everywhere, yeah. and that you could call it up on YouTube or whatever, or you know Hulu or whatever. But there was a time in my I am not even forty yet. 
<laughs> but there was in my lifetime that there were not VCRs in every house. A large chunk yes. of our lifetime was not. That there way. was not even if you had VCRs, would anyone bother trying yeah. to record or? And even if you could, not every house had cable. So if you're going to have a VCR and you're going to record your favorite TV show, it would be in that horrible antenna, you know, mm-hmm. that inconsistent signal. It would and suck. Which, and everybody would switch it to ELP. So on repeated viewings, it would get even worse and worse. It would be horrible. So, And that but, was like the community sharing idea right. where you might give that tape to your friends. Right. Oh, you missed the... I, you let your, your little cousins watch it over and over again because they don't care. It's Spaceballs. Well... Was that 1985? I, I don't. It, w- it would have been on here. Oh, uh, yeah, I hope. I used to take VHS tapes of The Sopranos to your house to watch. I remember that. Right? Yes. Because I wanted you to watch the show so bad. But when, when, and when we were kids, before we had a VCR, before we had cable even, we used to hold up our tape recorder to the TV and record Miami Vices. <laughs> Just the soundtrack. Yeah. Or we would record Johnny Carson. Like, <laughs> and we would listen to them. So, you know, I think we were it, um, uh, the, we were always stealing the things that we just couldn't get enough of. You know what? At that point, <laughs> see, I picture like a four-year-old working one of those old tape recorders and literally using all his like, strength say anything, to hold it also up. Like, say anything? Also in 1985? No, yep. I was just kidding. <laughs> I think that was 89, but close enough. But I just picture you doing that. Like, you're not... Obviously, a child is not evil, but he is clearly starting to show signs of capitalist consumerism. In He's like, your eyes. I already pay for the TV. <laughs> My mom lets me watch it just right now when you just happen to be broadcasting this. Yeah. But I deserve to hear this tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I deserve to be able to watch this later. The idea, I think, has been in consumers' heads forever. Where it goes from piracy to legitimate viewing used to be a pretty clear-cut area until VCR showed up. And then the, the price, I think, when VCRs first came out of a VHS new release movie through a legitimate source was something to the tune of... Eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars. What? Say a Burt Reynolds movie, or uh-huh. even no offense to the man himself, but like a brand new Rodney Dangerfield movie, mm-hmm. you would have to pay a hundred dollars yeah. for through legitimate back channels. Well, Whereas if you wanted to, you just get a second VCR, record it. Yeah, the options were there, and people would do it. And piracy has its roots in the fact that people want more than the providers give them, I think. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you brought us into this fertile area of conversation, Marky, because I actually got to sit down with uh, both Dr. Chantel Tibbles, who has a new book coming out that we talk about, and Nate Glass of Takedown Piracy. I talked to them about this because I think it is with the age of uh, more and more content and more and more availability and the Internet doing everything it's done with the, with the availability of piracy, this is a big issue. I so I thought it was worth sitting down with some experts. It's also nuanced. are not big stars in movies. Yeah. They're no. not famous wrestlers. I'm so sorry if it seems boring, but uh, this is where I sit down (laughs) and I get to the meat of the issue. Magic interview machine.
for a little bit of background, Nate Glass is the uh, owner and operator of Takedown Piracy, an anti-piracy organization. Uh, he's a leading expert on piracy, which is very convenient given his day job. Uh, he works with uh, adult entertainment, pro athletes, movies, music, TV, and you can catch uh, his work down at uh, TakedownPiracy.com or follow him at, at TakedownPiracy on Twitter. Uh, uh, Dr. Chantel is a sociologist specializing in pop culture, entertainment, and sex. Uh, two out of the three of those things we try to accomplish here on the show. That's perfect. Uh, and she also has a book coming out uh, July 7th, I believe, called Exposure, a Sociologist Explores Sex, Society, and Adult Entertainment. And you can pre-order it now on Amazon.com. Or I would think there must be some specialized torrent, you know, BitTorrent site that uh, offers pirated books. Would I be wrong uh, about that? There is, well, but Chantel's book will not be available on there if I have anything to say about it. Oh, good for you. Although the the amount of irony might make it worth it, but good for you. Good for you. <laughs> and and I'm glad you said that, Nate, because first I want to establish. What drives a man to get into anti-piracy? What what are your personal motivations? Because you are protecting the copyrighted content of people who are not yourself. Right, right. Well, I mean, I was working in the adult industry. I had been working in the adult industry for years and years. At uh, you know when when I first had this idea, and it was really just seeing you know the other studios which were, you know, not only owned by people I knew, but the people who worked in sales and marketing and, and everybody was kind of getting, you know, kind of feeling the pinch there and seeing my friends get laid off because the company has to pull back, you know, on the budget, you know, I, I kind of took that not only, I kind of took it personally, you know, so I looked at it from a point of view of there was a problem that I didn't think was really being addressed by anyone in the industry and I thought, you know, uh, why why shouldn't I be that guy? Why can't I be that guy that that helps try to solve this problem? Well, well, that, I think that's kind of the heart of the question I'm getting to because most people are going to be the type who kind of lay back and say, well, if I don't like piracy, I'm not going to pirate anything. But I think it takes something something a little extra and something a little altruistic to say I am going to make it my job to make sure that nobody is pirating. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was simply, I guess maybe you could say I have like a hero complex. I don't know. Maybe I, <laughs> maybe I wanted to be the, the hero or something, but I just, I just, I saw an opportunity where I could protect people who I considered to be friends, you know, and, and now we've expanded out to where obviously we have clients or people, you know, who I didn't know previously, but at the time it was like, these are my friends and they're getting ripped off and no one's protecting them. And, you know, because it's adult, you know, we can't like sit back and wait for the government or anybody to really come save us. Like if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen probably internally. So, um, you know, you, somebody's got to save the day. So I guess it had to be me. Well, well, would you, would you say that you have saved the day then? Not yet. We're getting closer. The day is not yet saved, but I think we've gotten a lot closer. Um, I like to think, you know, a lot of the clients that I've had from day one are still around today, and I don't know 
How much of that, you know, I can attribute to the fact that, you know, we protect their content. I don't want to take all the credit because obviously they make great films and, and whatnot, but um, I think we have done our part in keeping those businesses, you know, still profitable and, and still around. And a lot of the people who haven't protected their content, the people who kind of just sat back and didn't do anything, a lot of those guys aren't around anymore. So I think you can, you know, I'm not trying to <laughs> pat myself on the back too much, but I think you can attribute, you know, some of that, um, the fact that some of these companies are still around to the to what we do for them. All right, all right, and and you say and you know, jokingly, but you do say uh, perhaps it's a bit of a, a hero complex that you take on this uh, almost insurmountable task, which kind of by definition goes against the popular idea, which is that if more people are stealing than paying, then if you put it to a vote, the people are going to say we want all this for free. Obviously, that's not going to work. But you do have, I think, at the other end of the spectrum, almost lining up to you would be uh, off the top of my head, I forget the girl's name, something Bashar from the uh, uh, Ninja Video site. Oh, yeah, yeah, Hannah, Hannah Bashar. Hannah Bashar, that's it, who who I've done a little research on. I find her kind of fascinating as well, but she seems to have, and this is no exaggeration, a real hero complex herself where she felt like Robin Hood doing the exact opposite of what you did. Or, or, or yeah. what you are still doing, which she was, you know, federally forced to stop doing. But that does point to, you know, where where is the average man supposed to say what is the moral imperative, and does it lie more in preventing piracy or more in recognizing and propagating piracy? Yeah, I mean, I don't think. To me, it's clear cut. Now, to other people, they may be more conflicted about it, but to me, it's clear cut. Like. People are, you know, spending their own time, putting their own money to produce content. If you're exploiting their work for free, like, you are exploiting them. You're exploiting them without their consent. And to me, that's just clear-cut wrong. Like, there's not a lot of gray area there. But, I mean, I deal with people online, people like you mentioned, Hannah, like, where in their mind, they're the good guy, and they're true believers that they're doing right. But I think when you go and if you go and you talk to the people affected by their actions, and I mean like the content producers, the people who work at the studios, people who work in the office, whatever, I don't think they see those people as some sort of Robin Hood. I think they just see them as somebody who's exploiting their work for free and, and not compensating them and not asking their permission. So uh, to me, it's a clear cut right and wrong, but maybe other people have a different take. And and obviously they must with Hannah Bashar's in the world, and so forth. But then you know if you really want to take that as as a, like a like a moralistic argument, then you could say even before it gets to being pirated content, there are producers out there who get basically screwed over by networks or studios or something where they do all the work and get a, nowhere near a lion's share of the pay. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I deal with that, especially when people talk about music, they always say, well, you know, the labels screw the artists. And I'm like, that's true. And I'm right there with you. But then I don't make the next step to be like, well, so then I'm going to screw them even worse. <laughs> you know, so I'm yeah. going to not, whatever percentage the label might give them is so paltry, but I guarantee you that Torrent site is giving them 0%, you know, and probably taking a percent away from them. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think there's anything that's like a perfect scenario. And I've got things I'd like to see adult do with maybe like a, a royalties kind of thing. But, you know, the, the logistical nightmare probably prohibits that. I don't think anything's perfect, but I definitely think, you know, some situations are better than others. All right. Well, here's where, and uh, uh, Dr. Tibbles, this is where I want to bring you into it. Uh, because a great example would be uh, the Game of Thrones season finale. Broke all kinds of records for a lot of things, but not least among them piracy. And this is something <laughs> right. that has been going on for a while with HBO specifically, let's talk about, as a site or, or, or as a network, which has said, we actually don't mind the pirates so much. It's the exposure that we get from that that helps our business model. And in, I'm not saying that they're just laying down and letting everything get pirated, but they do say, all right, the, what more eyeballs on the project, no matter how they get there, is going to be a net positive in the long run for us. And is there any truth to that, or are they just rolling over? In my, I mean, obviously, I'm not at the table there at HBO when they're deciding, you know, what's a lost leader for them and what is, you know, an interesting, tricky marketing tactic. You know, it, it could be that HBO makes enough money with its paying clients and it's got the biggest show in the history of forever, and that could be all that they want. But it, it's interesting to consider both, you know, adult content piracy, um, you know, Game of Thrones piracy, and even, you know, basic tiny little things. Like earlier today, I saw a, a college professor, a colleague of mine, talking about how she was going to photocopy um, books and make the photocopies available to her students so they didn't have to purchase them. There's so many different variable ways that this issue shows up and, and in different degrees of intensity. So in terms of your question, it, it could be that HBO, you know, they look at their books and they see, oh, okay, this is, this is how we want to do this. But it's an interesting point to consider the idea that HBO is not necessarily looking at what is happening in consumer culture today. It could be that they are very satisfied with their monthly subscribers, but they could also, you know, reach a bunch of different consumers that would rather than sort of exploit their content, watch it for free, and then move on, actually engage their community, engage their program, engage their show, if it were available to purchase one-off or, or something like that. So it, it confounds me to think about a network going in. We make enough money on the subscribers. We'll just not even worry about that piracy piece, partially because it, it doesn't seem like they are willing to consider their model within the context of consumer culture today. How do you mean? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're not giving. There's a lot of consumers out there that would probably be very, very happy to pay for Game of Thrones, like season, what are we on, season five now? I don't know because I don't subscribe to HBO, but I also don't watch Game of Thrones pirated. So it could be that they're just okay with the loss leader, and, and that's their prerogative. But they're also not thinking about this whole percentage of consumers out there that want to consume their content legitimately, but in a way that works for them. And the technology is there. 
So rather than just engage another, you know, when people talk about multi-platform, oh, we have to put it online and we have to make a, a mailing and all of that, they're not considering all of these different ways to consume that would actually help alleviate this piracy issue if people had the capacity to do that. Now, obviously, people instead are choosing to pirate the content rather than wait for it to come out or, you know, consume it in the way that, you know, in the quote-unquote legitimate mode that they have. But it's just an interesting kind of conundrum that you see happening that contribute to this cultural sort of perspective or stance that digital content is a free commodity. And, and that's not the case. There are actors in Game of, Games of Thrones. There are, you know, people who perform in porn. There are artists who make music. And that is their work and their labor. And just like, you know, I don't write articles for free and teachers don't teach for free and lawyers don't offer legal advice for free. But when you think about this, issue as the exploitation of individual labor, then it starts to really become problematic. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. When you look at it as a black or white, you know, if you're pirating, then you're stealing and you're not paying into the system. You are just taking. But what about, and there are, if I have a cable subscription and an HBO subscription on top of that, but I have to work at the times when the shows I want to see are coming out, and I don't want to shell out on top of the hundred plus dollars that I'm so far in the hole to see this, I don't want to shell out another twenty, thirty, fifty, sixty dollars for a DVR so that I can watch it on my time. Does that mean that it is still wrong for me, like when I get home from work three hours after Game of Thrones has come out? and I can't catch it on demand, or you know, my cable provider doesn't allow me, they haven't made their own deal with HBO so that I can use HBO Go, et cetera, and I know that's already a folding model, but for the, for the sake of this example, then right. is it, am I actually stealing from anyone if I go onto a streaming site so that I can watch Game of Thrones at 2.30 in the morning when I can't find it anywhere else, even though I'm paying into the system? Well, well, I, I think you're... Oh, oh, go, go ahead, Nate. I was going to say, I think, you know, it's getting into some, some pretty narrow minutia there, but I think, you know, with HBO, I don't know, like, different cable programs, but, you know, you mentioned, like, the DVR, pretty much all that stuff's on HBO On Demand. Um, I have Apple TV, so I have HBO Go. There's HBO Now, which you can get standalone, so you don't need a... Uh, HBO subscription. True, so, they I mean, are I feel coming like, up with solutions. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, and I mean that a lot of that is because of I think the piracy issue. I think HBO mm -hmm. Now is kind of born from that piracy issue, in the same way that iTunes was kind of born from Napster. So I mean, I think piracy in some to some degree pushes. Uh, it, it really kind of shines the light on what the consumer is wanting. But I think once the industry has kind of met that you know, that, that uh, list of, like, checklist of here's what we want, here's what we want. And when the, when the provider meets that and then people continue to pirate it, at some point I think there's more, 
you know, like the situation, the, the hypothetical situation that you're describing, or it may not even be hypothetical for you, it's probably reality. But hey, that, hey, hey, don't put words in my mouth here, Mr. Glass. <laughs> it might be, it might be, but anyway, um, I think if that were the common thing, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I think the, the large um, majority of the problem is people who have access, who could get it, who could pay for it legally, and who just go, you know what? free is better than me paying for something. I don't want to pay for it. I think that's what drives the problem. And in, in HBO's case, you know, they, they took that approach, I think, publicly of saying, oh, we don't mind the piracy, it's, it's exposure. But if you work in the realm that I work, you see that HBO is very aggressive in having things taken down from Google, like pirated links and things like that. So they are very aggressive in enforcing their copyright. So I think they're kind of playing both sides. That way they can appear to be kind of the, like, we hear you, good guy, to the pirates, while at the same time also enforcing, you know, their copyright aggressively. And I do think part of that PR thing of them saying, hey, we don't mind the promotion, I would imagine that it's conceivable that some of that is to show maybe in certain territories where they don't have broadcast deals for Game of Thrones, that there is a demand for it, that people who, in, in, in this case, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really look down on them for pirating. If you live in a country where, for whatever reason, you can't in any legal way obtain Game of Thrones, then, yeah, those people are going to pirate it because they live in the same world. They use Twitter and Facebook, and they hear their friends talking about it, and they want to take part in it, too. So I wonder if some of that is them kind of you know, showing in whatever territory hey, there's a big demand for this show here. Look how many people are pirating it or whatever. Let's, you know, let's do a broadcast deal or some kind of, you know, contract to, to show it. I think, you know, that that might be a play as well. Well, see, I'm glad that we got to this point because the next idea I want to talk about is that piracy uh, and the efforts to stop it and everything that is changing about the content delivery systems that we have now between Netflix, uh, people cutting the cord, et cetera, is that it's kind of a conversation between the consumers and the creators. And, right. you know, when it was just television and the only feedback you got were those little blue books from Nielsen, the networks <laughs> pretty much, you know, they, they just looked as their, at their audience as one giant organism. Right. But now that things are changing and they have to learn and adapt, and I think what you're seeing – with HBO finally setting up its own standalone service is that they are listening, that this is a response, that all of this will eventually kind of shake itself out. It's just that everyone involved in the industry at this point is getting the short end of the stick until we do have it figured out. Even echoes back to the writer's strike several years ago in television where eventually nothing got solved. Anything that that has to do with, you know, social change, be it like a dramatic flashpoint, which is never as immediate as you think, or these kind of evolutions that you're talking about here, the big sort of amorphous audience that now is becoming this very finely honed and tuned piece. You know, it, it is an interesting idea to think about this progression occurring over time and people kind of shifting with it. It is a fascinating thing to think about the impact that, you know, media, the Internet, 
social media, tube sites, all of these things that on a technology level and on a platform level have allowed people to see when they want to look out into this, you know, formerly amorphous sea of, of an audience. You can now see, you know, different interests different social classes, different socioeconomic price points, you know, maybe somebody who can't afford the $200 a month or whatever it costs for HBO with all the bells and whistles can't afford the $20, like whatever, the buy on demand price point, and that's all they want or need. So, you know, as we start to kind of get the capacity to pick apart the audience and then offer things that meet different people's different needs, it will be, it's an interesting idea to see if it will shake out. But I think that the issue has another sort of undercurrent or underlayer to it, which is this sort of cultural sentimentality that I see um, really becoming pervasive. I mean, it's been present for a while now, and it, it just seems to be intensifying, is the idea that this sort of product or content is kind of like a right or you're entitled to it. And that is a really interesting thing to kind of think about because, you know, as, as uncomfortable as it is to talk about it, it could be that HBO has every possible thing that people could want or need cornered in every territory accessible at every price point and the easiest ways of paying in every possible mode and there still is this thing that's happening in our culture right now that says, that's not enough. I should just be able to watch HBO if that's what I want. And that's where I think we're going to continue to get this sticking point that I don't see resolving itself very, you know, anytime in the near future. And, and, and before I go any further, I want to admit, even as a devil's advocate, there is no way you're ever going to get everyone on the planet to say, oh, yeah, I would love to pay for everything I get. That's right. You know, we, we need a workable number, but you're never going to get every, you're never going to get a consensus. Yeah, and I, I we're think never, every, you're never going to get consensus with anything. Yeah. <laughs> I think point. everybody realistically knows that. I mean, we do that in everything. Like, we put up, you know, speed limit signs. We know that, like, we're never going to get everyone to not speed, but I don't think we kind of throw out the effort because, like, well, there's going to be some people who are going to speed anyway, so screw it. You know, there's going to be people who murder people even though we've outlawed it. Like, you still want to try to, you know, get everybody on the same page as best as possible. Yeah, and I think – and that's just the 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 unreachable segment of of the consumer populace rationalizing for the sake of rationalizing because they're obviously not going to change. Whereas, and I'm going to bring it back before we leave. I want to bring it back to Ninja video, which again is a subject that just fascinates me. And I don't think we've heard the end of the story of Hannah Bashar and the, the Ninja video whites, but here was a service that was streaming. It was basically Hulu where the next day you could find whatever was popular and on television and you could stream it at no cost to you, but they have a donations page. And apparently they got a lot of donations. People who said, I am still willing to pay, but the model you are presenting is superior to what the content providers, you know, it's, it's the platform that they were paying for as opposed to the content. And I think that that, more cases than not, what we consumers pay for is the platform. 
we pay to go see something in IMAX. We we pay to have these specific cable channels because these are our interests. But we don't have any say in the content being produced aside from ratings. But the actual money is more a direct comment on, you know, this is this is worth it to me to pay you Time Warner, even though you, Time Warner, had nothing to do with making this movie, this TV show, or this music. Right. Well, and I think to touch on your point of, you know, the kind of bringing all this together and listening to the consumer, I, I sometimes think that some of these people, you know, involved in the decision-making, like they're not all just like stubborn, you know, not all of them, but they're not all kind of stubborn, like Luddites or whatever, who are stuck in some, you know, bygone era, just the logistics to pull some of these things off aren't as easy as, you know, those of us from the outside. I know, I know, I don't know, Chantel can maybe speak to this as well, but I hear people, especially when we talk about the adult industry, they go, well, there should be an iTunes for porn. And I'm like, well, yeah, like everybody's, says that, but the the reality and the logistics of somehow getting everybody on board, you know, that's not as easily done. So like this idea that that the you know cable companies or whatever should just do what the consumers say in a in what might seem like a long time for us, but in the grand scheme is kind of a, a relatively short period. I mean we have come leaps and bounds. I look at what we have now with Netflix and Hulu and I'm a WWE network subscriber and like all these things that we have. And I think like, man, when I was a kid, I would have literally killed someone for these things. Like (laughs) the greatest thing ever. And to us now it's like, yeah, it's great, but it could be a lot better, you know? So we're kind of maybe impatient a little bit, but it's good because that, that impatience hopefully drives the the innovation forward as well. I think we are in the middle of this conversation, which is moving faster than we realize or can appreciate. And in, you know, I, I don't know if I'm making this up or if there's anything to back up what I'm saying, but I imagine when movies back in the, the 19 teens or whatever started building movie theaters and showing actual movies for money, theater troops said, well, this is it. It's over. And then in the 50s, when televisions were being put into every house, movie studios probably thought, oh, well, this is it. This is over. And then Mm -hmm. now that Netflix, the Internet, streaming services, uh, legitimate or otherwise, are going on, now we are in this specific time in the conversation where, you know, uh, TV content providers are throwing their hands up and saying, well, this is it. We're done for. But we still have theater, we still have movies, we still have television, and I think we'll have all of them going forward. We just need to finish this part of the conversation to know how to exchange it, to know what those realistic numbers of people stealing and people altruistically paying are going to be so that it's a viable business model. Yeah, I think as long as the you know the artists are getting compensated and people are getting compensated along the way, and as long as no one's having their consent taken away from them, then I think you know you're you're on the right path. But it's, like you said, it's not always easy to kind of you know put everybody on the same page and get everybody singing the same tune. But at least we're talking about it, and maybe we'll get there. Like you said, it is a positive in that we have so many more legal ways to watch content than ever before. So that's at least moving it 
in a, in a good direction. I still think there's a lot of improvement that can be done. It frustrates me when I have clients whose stuff gets pirated, but then it's not available legally in like most countries and they have very kind of archaic, you know, methods for distributing it. Like that makes my job harder because I know there's going to be more, you know, more of that stuff being pirated. And I can kind of understand people's mentality when they can't get it legally. Like, that's what they're going to resort to. So I always tell my clients, like, the best thing you could do to cut down on your piracy is make your stuff available, make it convenient, and make it a good price for people. If you do that, and, you know, you're, you're a long way towards the goal. Well, I, I think you got it. That should be the mantra for, every, uh, for content providers. Uh, things have changed. Things are going to continue to change. Uh, piracy is never going to go away, but uh, at, you know, uh, at some point in the near future, we're probably going to talk about you know 2007 to 2012 as the bad old days of piracy. <laughs> but things are changing now, and I mean, uh, we can't predict where the platforms are going to go in the future. But for now, it's a conversation that is ongoing, but is showing obviously signs of progress. So, again, I want to thank you, Nate Glass of uh, Takedown Piracy. I want to thank you, Dr. Chantel Tibbles, uh, sociologist. And uh, the book comes out July 7th, correct? Yes. Yes, it does. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Not at all. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Chantel. You guys have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. 1985, and I assume we're only using that because at 1985 was probably 
the beginning of an era where movies got to be so good you couldn't base breakfast cereals off them. No. Otherwise, we would have had <laughs> Back to the Future Flakes yeah. or, I don't know, Goonie. But maybe there was a Goonie cereal. Well, you know, I think what what you're basically – what you're highlighting is that the there's the type of blockbuster movie – that gets into the marketing vein. You know, yeah. Obviously, Star Wars and there's C-3PO's and then you get your Harry Potter's and your Patios or whatever. Well, movies know. or franchises that try to own market-wise. Exactly. Segmented. They're, yeah. they're their most optimum time. Yeah. Right before they come out, as they come out, and just after they come out, they want to have a 7-Eleven yeah. selling cups. It's, with them on them. It's all about you licensing. McDonald's yeah. selling your Muppet classes right. while the Muppets are in theaters. But it seems like if you were to look at the 1985 films, there's really not that type of movie on there. I'm, these are the types of movies that kind of really crept into our subconscious and kind of it drove us. Yeah. More, it, it kind of matured us, right? You know, and we always talk about that on this show. Yeah. You know, these movies did that. Breakfast Club took you from middle school to high school, maybe, or it kind of helped mm-hmm. you through that little moment. The Goonies might have, might have taken you from elementary school to middle school and the bond you had with your friends and the adventures you might still have before they took away your whole childhood, which is, that's what the house represented, I assume. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's uh, a stretch, but I think you might be right. Yeah. Uh, Mad Max and... I think that was just a radical wing of the Republican Party. I, um, Rocky IV, you know, Rocky patriotism, IV. right? That, America that, versus that, Russia. That crossed party line. Yeah, absolutely. That was America. The, this, this was the Reagan era. Yeah. You know, like this, Rocky IV is the Reagan era. Um, the, these massive uh, cultural hits mm-hmm. uh, of 1985, they are still with us, like, massively within our culture, deep-rooted. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, it seems like, simple movie themes that were brought up then are actually a real reflection on the zeitgeist right there in America just before it was official that we'd won the Cold War, I guess, Mm -hmm. if we want to dig into it. That's a a good angle. Commando was a hit in 1985. Try to watch Commando now, though. It's it horrible. is simplistic and terrible. It's horrible. But in 1985, it was such a perfect time for movies. I agree. That Commando yep. was awesome. It had the one-liners. One Matrix, or two of them. Matrix, you said <laughs> you were going to kill me last. What did he say? I lied. <laughs> <laughs> he said he lied. He throws them off the... <laughs> Man, look. I, 1985 was awesome. Yes. But it wasn't... It wasn't the marketing awesome. It wasn't. You couldn't get licensed official action figures of Marty McFly in 1985. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get little Breakfast Club little dolls where this is the nerd, this is the pretty girl, <laughs> this is the bad boy, this is the jock. You know. It seemed to speak more to us as people exactly. than as consumers. It was mature. For maybe the last time. Yeah. Yeah. It. It was mature it and serious for a big time. I remember that as a kid. That summer was amazing. You can go out once a week using your allowance and getting a ride from your parents. You might be able to see one movie a week. Yeah. 
and every week you can go and see. Back then, if a movie came out in the summer, it was in theaters all summer. Yep. You didn't have to worry about it. Yep. There was no IMAX extra to pay for. There was only matinee and regular price. Or there were dollar movie nights. I love dollar movies. That started. It might have started a little bit after 85. But nonetheless, back then, you didn't have to choose between 3D, IMAX, whatever. All the other choices now. It was just go in, pick whether you wanted popcorn and candy or not. You watched the movie, and you got to do that. If you went out almost every single day of the summer of 1985, you could have seen some of the most defining generational movies that exist. That's a great way to put it. And and you didn't have to steal them then. They were affordable. <laughs> there was availability. But you you were still kind of at the altar of the studios. Yeah, you had to see it Whereas on their schedule. now... Yeah. We get to – we have so much more say in it. There's so much more competition. There's so many more movies coming out. I I think just, you know, going back to the beginning of the show, mm. I was pirating stuff. This is years ago. This is when I used to stack VCRs on top of each other. Like <laughs> I, was, I was pirating, right? Mm-hmm. I was stealing it. Now, it wasn't leaving me. You know, the way that I looked at it was mm. is that I rented the video – yeah. Or somebody I knew put money into the system, and we did you ever make it, a dime? No, off I never of sold it. I never did anything like you that. You never profited. So no, never yeah. profited. It was just something that it's more the way that I looked at it back then is that it was more of just kind of like a mind manipulation. You know, it was like you could now remember this in real time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's how I was doing it. I had already seen the movies or paid for the movies or had come across the movie. It was I had touched it. From one yep. point to the other. See, once again, I see you as a four-year-old in like a like a onesie pajama suit, <laughs> holding up a big bulky tape recorder yeah. next to the TV yep. speakers because yep. you want to hear that Sesame Street again yeah. later. later. Or the Johnny Carson uh, monologue. Okay, well that is creepy. not something a child should be recording, I but uh, right. but I dig it. But I, well, we did that. You know, uh, we, uh, the Saturday Night Lives, we used to record like we were little kids, yeah. you know. But it, And again, and back then, if you wanted Saturday Night Lives, Sesame Street, or The Tonight Show, you couldn't steal it. It was free. All you right. needed was the television, some antennas. Yeah. And that is the world we grew up with. In 1985, the idea of VCRs and or even cable channels where you could see pretty recent movies, uncut, cursing, boobs, and everything, was very new. We have come so far now, I think we've proved the model doesn't work as well. It, yeah, it, it, it's, it needs to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And it is because, you know, if, if going from my earliest memories of being entertained by Hollywood, no. I've kind of always been involved with some kind of piracy or another. It, it it hasn't stopped, but it might have been at its peak back then, yeah. really. And as more and more avenues become available to me to consume these things that I am going to consume, I'm going to participate or pay, if you will, in the process in some manner. So, yeah, if I miss it, I could Chivo it, DVR it. 
if, if you're I already paying for TiVo right. or a DVR. Exactly. Or I could do on demand if I'm already paying. If you're already service, paying for the right. cable and right. the DVR, right. etc. Yeah. Um, I could wait for it to get to Netflix. Again, if you're if paying, paying for, for Netflix, Netflix or Hulu, yeah, I'm paying for Hulu. You know, and so on and so on and so on. Even the networks all have their own version of Hulu now. ABC, you could, you know, it's seven dollars a month or whatever. You know, like nope. they all have their things. And so, if you're honestly not able to see something, there is a way for you to participate all around. That may not have been the case back then. When you could set your VCR to record something, remember you had to do, do the timer mm-hmm. and you had to maybe leave your TV on or something? Yeah. Or, oh, you know, or God help you if you had a cable box and you had, you had to get to, one of those to, special adapters yeah. that was literally a tiny remote with Velcro that would stretch from your VCR over to your cable box. It was a nightmare. But, you you know, that's not pirating. That's an early DVR. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not digital recording, but it's a recording device. Mm-hmm. You're still... Owning something that you didn't directly pay for. So at what point do you owe the producer or the provider or the platform how much money? The way we've that never I look been at able it, to answer that, right? The, the way that I look at it to this day yeah. is I am under the assumption that I paid my dues. And I've continued and I will continue to pay my dues. So Amen. I go I go to the movies and pay and buy popcorn and Cokes and all that stuff. And I like the way movie popcorn tastes, even though I can make it at home. I like movie popcorn. Because someone sells it to you for nine dollars an ounce. And it's hot and it and actually is better. And the, and the free jalapenos. Yeah. Yeah. I love that shit. Okay? Mm-hmm. I participate. Again, and it's like you're paying for the platform. Yeah, I'm paying for just the access to... Someone made this movie. I'm willing to shell out X amount of dollars to see it in this way. If, if I was to go into the Museum of Movies and I pay my entrance fee... There we go. I, I shouldn't yeah, have pleasure to... to have you at the Museum of Movies. <laughs> come into... Thank you for your pay. Please, come along. I put on the little headphones and I'm walking through. Yeah, you have taxi driver. Yeah, in the first round. <laughs> Great train robbery. Don't worry. The train's not coming at you. So and I would, if you are in the Museum of Movies, you pay your entrance fee to get in. Not every single exhibit do you then pay again and again and again and again. Mm. And that's how I see my participation in this, is that I am there in this museum and I paid my entrance fee maybe not necessarily every single <laughs> Picasso gets the gets the dollar, <laughs> but I'm in there anyway. I have participated. I have paid. I am in the system. Yep. Some of you are getting the money. Maybe some of you, maybe not. And those of you that maybe are not, in my particular case, you, you guys would have never have got it anyway. Mm-hmm. There are some things in this world that I just will not pay for. And... If I get to see it anyway, wouldn't that help you? Because I might tell every somebody. Now and then, something you see for free you never would have paid for, you might eventually want to pay for. Exactly. Plus, I, but I didn't you know. spread the word. Yeah. But it's just more eyes on the project. Right. 
And you know, like I, I want people to uh I want people to create and be compensated for their successes. I remember um this was if you guys this is before he went crazy, but Dennis Miller had a show on HBO. Mm-hmm. It was like a precursor to the Bill Maher, you know, show. It was political. He was a lot more left lean, well, from my memory anyway. But he had Dave Grohl on. And this was right when the Napster thing was going on. Uh-huh. Talk about top of the, you know, this is top of the newswire. They probably didn't even realize how big that was going to be. Well, and this is Dave Grohl, who was in Nirvana and now on his own, doing very, very well. What he said was is that really people shouldn't necessarily be charged to hear something. They were talking about music. Yeah. To hear it, but in the packaging, that is what they pay for. And what he was talking about was the CD and the cover and the, you know, the the whole... Which actually, I always did feel ripped off when I bought a CD and it didn't have a booklet with the lyrics. I like the book and the lyrics myself too. But that those CDs, it didn't have that. It was just the cover, the CD, and the case. Oh, I felt it might as well have been a download. Yeah, Yeah. it did. It did. It it did take away, unless it was really cool art. Sometimes that was cool. Or what I was saying was, Dave Grohl was, in a way, kind of giving me the okay. To hear or <laughs> these things, um, and that if I wanted, if I was a fan of this thing, I will go out and buy it. Yeah, you know, like I'll go get it. Yeah, or I'll go to the concert. You know, I will participate in your shit when it's worthy of it. Yeah, and so because at one point, if if those of you listening to us were probably. In our age category, you are in middle school, radio was free, and you could press record on your Sony radio tape deck, and you could make a mixtape strictly out of free radio songs. But the point is, we all stole everything when we were younger, and we all also had to buy everything when we were younger. (laughs) I think this, I think we as a culture are still doing that. I am paying way too much between Netflix and cable and Hulu and Amazon. I pay so much money every month that if I can't find the one thing I want to see right then, I feel... You owe it to me. Well, then somebody (laughs) failed. Somebody up the chain failed, and it turns out since there is since there is a means, I will take that way. Yeah, you know, and you know, and and you know, our friend at uh, Nate Glass at TakedownPiracy.com. Yeah, he said it. He 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 said it there. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, how I can help my clients best is to tell them make, make it, it available. available." And that's exactly what we. That's the reason why I am recording it illegally. <laughs> because you you didn't give because it to me. Somebody else made it available. <laughs> exactly. That was the only way that I could and get it. Maybe you do as a as a real provider, as someone who wants to make a business. You do have to find a nuanced blanket plan to yeah. make us consumers give you what you think is fair, and will respond by actually doing it. If you can find that, you've cracked the code. Whereas right now we're in between television and free-for-all Wild West yeah. steal what you need. 
but we have made the industry has made a lot of progress between Netflix, Hulu, etc. Yeah, and you know, at the same time, that's, though, it seems that's the only solution going forward. At the same time, there's been a couple of times in my life where, and this is as as the uh, as even as the times have changed, you know, whether it was VHS tapes or somebody's laptop. I remember distinctly, you know, like 1996 or 97, yeah. a friend of mine just had like, you know, you used to keep the, the big binders for your CDs. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, and with he, the four little yeah, with the plasticine pockets, pockets yeah, in each one. Yeah. And then he like opened it up and this was a big, it was like a Encyclopedia Britannica size, just huge thing. And he opens it up and it's just, everything was, you know, CDR, you know, copied, and it's just every single one of them was a movie from the last year or something. It was just completely pirated shit. Maybe some of it was like when they camcorded, recorded, yeah. or, you know, like, and it was just all this stuff. And I was just like, I don't know. There, there is something very corrupting about that. I didn't like it. Uh, you know, like, I'm like, what the felt fuck? Felt dirty. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that at all. You know, like, you know, I'll do a lot of drugs, but I ain't going to do crack. Uh, you know, I ain't uh, going to go that far. You know, Marky like, doesn't feel clean unless a unless a real usher tears his ticket. I, you gotta well, at least you gotta contribute, you know, a little to the whole process, mm-hmm. you know. And I do feel like I contribute massive amounts to these. People. I do too. Yeah, and so I don't feel bad about it. But like when I see something that I perceive as being kind of unfair, and when my you know my friend you know opened up this book. You know, I it was like in Pulp Fiction when you opened up the briefcase, like the the light shined. You know, like I was just like, this is wrong, man. You know, like you can't be doing this. You know, I participate. We all participate. We're all consumers. I We're mean, those consumers. of us who aren't creating the content or distributing the content. Yeah. In this, I don't want to call it a war. I want to call it a conversation. But if that is available. It will start to show you who is willing to pay what for things. Yeah. And it seems like it's been so long, this should have been settled. And but. I'm glad that we're getting down to it. Uh, personally, I think I pay way too much for cable. I do, But too. I get a good deal on uh, Netflix, yep. on Hulu, on Amazon. I'm actually thinking about going... All three together... Uh, now it starts to add up, and then you've got a bunch of other little options. But we're actually seriously thinking right now about cutting the cable. That's been going on for almost yeah. a decade now. I think we're we're actually thinking about it. We're actually just going to go Netflix, Hulu. Sports is yep. the biggest obstacle. Yep. I can go to I a would bar. Say. What's the big deal? It, uh, there's like a Watch ESPN app that will give you some stuff. Mm-hmm. Bars are probably going to keep the regular. Uh, satellite and cable I gotta drink somewhere. the longest. And if it's not going to be home, go out to the bar. You know, but you know, you could also just get like basic cable, which at least gives you the networks. You know, so there's always some sports on there. Well, you, you know? actually at this point, all you need is an antenna. You can get the networks. And it's, it's, all, it's gone back. And if it's you all get an HD too. antenna, you yeah. get yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's. I mean, I'm thinking about it. The you know? industry is already. Aside from the actual cable providers, the industry is already prepared for the switch, I think. They also, in a they way... They know we're all going to do it very soon. Is it's it, just inevitable at is this it, point. Is it fair to say that they, in a way, bring it on themselves? 
You know, like, look, by, by now, my bill is like $150 a month yeah. for internet and fucking cable. What the fuck? And probably like 30, 40 of that is for internet. All yeah. the rest is cable. It's $2,500 a year on this shit. I mean, that's just stupid. Whereas it would be if you got Netflix and And I'm watching mostly Netflix anyway. And you have a smart TV, which basically if you go out and buy a TV today and it comes out of a box, then it's you just plug it in with your Wi-Fi, which I assume you have too. Sorry if I'm overstepping. I got the Wi-Fi. Everybody's got the Wi-Fi. So you've got a smart TV that can stream Netflix. You shell out... Seven, eight dollars, ten dollars a month. Ten dollars a month, for God's nothing, sake. Nothing. I have ten dollars fall out of my pocket once every two weeks. No problem. When I'm not paying attention, I I manage to survive. That being said, uh, <laughs> we're gonna miss you, NBC. <laughs> you just can't get it right. <laughs> ABC. Well, uh, you're uh, next NBC off. CBS. Well, I guess when the octogenarians die off. That's wow. it. No one's going to have that you on the radar. Brutal. But I think evolution is going to show that we're there's no way you can get away with the current model. Right, but CBS has a very and popular piracy app, right? has been the public's only voice over the years to say this is what we want to watch, but you're giving it to us wrong. It's a it's that's it's, the it's only a way to write way. the ship. That's that's what piracy exactly. Does. Yeah. And since the conversation is now starting to go in the right direction, I'm hopeful about the future. Uh, and I also want to start seeing television on my Google glasses. I guess well, I'm not quite sure what happens next. But well, at any rate, uh, that that was a great interview, and you only got a taste of it. You listening at home? In fact, we're going to go ahead and release the entire uncut hour-long interview. Yeah. Uh, because I I really do think it's not like we uh, we here on the show actually make social change. But this is an exception. <laughs> I think you did. Damn it, soldiers. Serialites, listen to this. I think it actually means something. Going forward, this is going to be important. You can find it on MattyPRadio.com. That's the one. com. Just look for all your favorite stuff down there. And if you don't see it, go somewhere else. But for the most part, you'll find it. And if not, you sure you could steal it from somebody. Oh, I was trying not to say that, but yeah, yeah. Someone, someone's gonna let you steal it from them. Anyway, anyway, before we go, I want to prove that it's not all about dollars uh, and cents, shilling dollars and cents. <laughs> but you don't have to pirate one specific show, thanks to what we're about to offer you as a free giveaway as a listener. Tell me, Marky, e., what are we gonna give them? A very special surprise from our friends at Time Life. That's right. Time Life DVD division has just released something and given us a few copies so we can pass them on to you. And I'm excited oh, about this I'll one. wait for this because even if it didn't actually come out in 1985, it was on the air in 1985. And this is one of those quintessential 80s TV shows. It's easy to forget about. What is it, you ask? Hey, oh, Mama's Family. <laughs> Love Mama's Family. Mama's Family. You guys remember that? Yeah. It would be on all the time. That thing went into syndication after the third episode aired. I agree. It was it was that destined was everywhere. For it. It's the, it was it's, like the Jeffersons. It, yeah, it's that kind of show that was always on and seems to always be on. Yep. And it had uh it has a great uh comedy pedigree. 
mm-hmm. going back to it. In fact, let me tell you about this is what Time Life has told me okay. about the show. And I actually remember it all, so it seems to be right. But let me share it with you. They tell me that from the first time the wildly popular sketch of the family aired on the Carol Burnett show back in 1974, Vicki Lawrence has been followed by a buxom, blue-haired, purse-lipped, 65-year-old widow that is, of course, Thelma Mae Crowley Harper. Oh, yeah, Mama. Lawrence's indelible, abrasive, and smart out. Smart alecky alter ego in a movie. would eventually be spun off into our own delightfully offbeat sitcom Mama's Family, which it. debuted on NBC on January twenty second, nineteen eighty three. Ran for six seasons, uh-huh. which definitely covers nineteen eighty five. Yep. For those of you mathematician it. wizards uh-huh. out there, your Val Kilmer's of real genius who are paying attention. <laughs> Set in the fictional city of Raytown, Mama's family revolved around the eye-opening escapades of the Harper clan, headed by the formidable matriarch Mama Harper, a fiery-tempered, no-nonsense woman who did not suffer fools gladly. In fact, (laughs) she makes everybody suffer a little with her patented snappy retorts that truly put the dis in dysfunction. Oh, I'm very sorry. That you all had to hear that. That was I had to turn the page over to see that joke. Sometimes copy like how is you not written for... by by the snappiest. Of it. Nonetheless, they're not lying. Mama's family is hilarious, especially if you enjoyed hearing that. You'll get a real kick out of it. Uh, uh, we actually just got a brand new email address. I like to kind of bombard it with offers from princes of Persia. Any Nigerian princes out there who are stuck in a holding cell with no access to your money, please listen up. We've got a brand new untouched email address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You could no, yeah. Let's use a new one. I want to see how this. I want to to see how this works. All right, all right. 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 Almost as an experiment. Saturday morning cereal at maddieprradio.com. Saturday morning cereal. At MattyPRadio.com. Say, I want to have a six pack with Mama, and I'm going to send you six episode DVD collection of Mama's House. That's right. Six pack with Mama. Oh, no, it's called Mama Family. Mama, ma- <laughs> Mama's well, House is no, White Lawrence. <laughs> you know what? Send, <laughs> send us kind of anything. <laughs> Just tell me you want a six pack with Mama, and I'm going to send you. <laughs> This six-episode DVD of... Six-pack of Mama. I'm saying saying with Mama. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. That's better. I'll warn Mama. So send me an email, Saturday Morning Serial at MattyPRadio.com. Tell me you want a six-pack with Mama, and I will send you... The rules are pretty loose. You can probably send anything. Yeah. As long as if we respond to you, you respond back, you get Mama's family. You're going to get Mama's family. I will send you the, the Mama's pick of six episodes of Mama's family. There That's you go. right. All right. It's that easy. Man, that was a great show. That, that, was, that was fun. I really hope people pay $15 or so for it. What do you and now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. Breakfast Club. Yay. Yay. Goonies. Yay. Back to the Future. Yay. Yay. European Vacation. Yay. Legend. Yay. Mad Max Thunderdome. Yay. Yay. Rocky IV. Yay. Yay. St. Elmo's Fire. Yay. Yay. Weird Science. Yay. Yay. Teen Wolf. 
Yay. Commando. Yay. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yay. Pale Rider. Big Adventure. Pale Rider. Pale Rider. Yay. What a year. Yay and yay.